Hello, my name is Misty Denman. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. So glad to be with you here today. And a shout out to my friends at the West Campus as well. So we're in the middle of November. November happens to be my very favorite month of the year. Um, It always means the same few things to me. One of those is that it's finally cold enough to get to um, stop wearing the same t-shirts and flip-flops we've been wearing since last, like, February. Get to put on some boots and some scarves and some cardigans and just something different. Love that. I also love um, eating chili and all things like those fall spice flavors. Pumpkin spice, fall spice, all of that. Um, And I could go on about fall food, but we will not because that's probably a discussion for another time and another day. Um, I've already started to try to figure out if I can come back for your Thanksgiving lunch next week um, because I'm generally at the West Campus and ours isn't quite the same as yours, although I'm going to be teaching live, so I hope they don't hear that next week. Um, But one thing I need to tell you before we move on, I found a new absolutely favorite fall food this week. I happen to have a um, carrot cake pop from Steel City Pops, and I feel like it would be wrong to not tell you about it. It is like the best thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. It sounds so bizarre. It was fabulous. So if you get a chance this fall, it may be a seasonal thing, I don't know, go to Steel City Pops and get a pumpkin, no, a carrot cake popsicle thing, whatever it was. So good. So, middle of November to me also means coming to the conclusion of fall Bible study always. Uh, We've spent the last few months immersing ourselves in first Paul's letter to the Galatians and now to the Ephesians. Um, And that's an accomplishment because no matter how many times I read and study Paul, I never cease to be amazed at the richness and depth of his teaching. And I'm just also studied by how much Um, thought has to go into understanding and studying and applying what he's written for us. So because of that, let's just take a few minutes and review what we've learned this semester. Remember that the big idea in Galatians was justification by faith and not by works. Faith and the saving work of Jesus on the cross that set us free from the penalty of our sin Um, Paul passionately reminded the Galatians that their hope and that our hope is in Christ alone, not in Christ plus any good works. Uh, So there's no room for legalism in our lives. Galatians is full of freedom and of grace, gifts for those who believe we are free in Christ. The book of Ephesians teaches us that we're rich in Christ, um, really and truly and permanently rich. What are those riches? We're chosen by God, adopted as his own, given the rights of his beloved family. We're redeemed, we're made new. Uh, we're shown the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness. We're loved beyond comprehension. We're filled with the fullness of God We are free and we are rich, so praise God for that. And I want us to hold tight to those ideas of our freedom and our riches today because everything that Paul teaches us in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 really builds upon those fundamental truths of our faith. So with that as our backdrop, let's read Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. We'll go through 24. Just follow along with me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here we learn that holy living requires actively engaging our minds as we reject our old ways of thinking and choose spiritual renewal. So remember that Paul is writing this letter to the saints in Ephesus. That is, they are Christ followers, but they're fairly young in their faith. And they have recently left mindsets and lifestyles that are far different from what God's word is going to prescribe. So in these verses, Paul sharply contrasts these believers' lives before and after their salvation. He calls on those who are in Christ to make a clean and full break from their former life and to really embrace their new identity, to be filled to the fullness of God. So our idea here is that our new lives in Christ are not just cleaned up versions of our old self, but that we are totally new creations. Look with me on your birth sheet at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's pretty straightforward. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That old self is dead. We are new creations, and we're to think like it, and we're to act like it. So I titled this outline, Use Your Head, because those words echoed over and over for me as I studied this passage. I heard those three words countless times as I was a teenager. Just about every time I left the house to go um, out with friends, out on a date, whatever, the last thing my mom would say on the way out the door was, use your head. Um, And what she meant was, while you're out, represent our family well, um, make good decisions, act like we've taught you to act, um, think like we've taught you to think, be the good kid we know you really are. And my mom was and still is a master at using her tone of voice to say more than just the words said. So sometimes I got the fairly friendly, use your head. um, And that was the, I trust you. You're going to be out with some good kids. Um, Have fun. I'll see you at curfew. I'm not really worried. Then there was the, use your head. Um, And that sort of had this undercurrent, I know now, of resignation. And I think that meant... There's going to be some opportunity for mischief here. Um, I'm not going to be there to talk any sense into you. If you would please just make good choices, it's going to be so much easier for both of us. Um, Then there was the use your head. And that was um, with a warning tone in it. And that usually came the next time I went out after I hadn't used my head the time before. Um, Because I didn't always. That one came after... Something like I had been um, driving and chatting with my girlfriends and um, too busy playing with the radio and talking to them to notice that the car was still moving in a stoplight and I'd run into somebody. Um, 
just theoretically, right? Something like that. Or maybe that happened more than once. <laughs> I heard use your head a lot. Um, use your head was my mom's rallying cry throughout my teenage years um, for a daughter who needed to hear those words every time I left home. But way before that, it was Paul's rallying cry um, for his friends in Ephesus who were figuring out what it meant to live out being new creations in Christ. So how does Paul want these believers to use their heads and why? Because he knows the vital role our minds play in the process of maturing spiritually. So we begin here in this passage with a really sobering look at the mind of the Gentile. And in verse 17, when Paul uses the word Gentile, he is referring to um, Gentile unbelievers, not the Gentiles of Ephesus here who have trusted Christ. So he's talking about those outside of the Christian faith. Their minds, he says, have been given to futility, aimless, useless, incapable of productivity. And it doesn't mean those outside of Christ aren't intelligent or aren't successful in a worldly kind of way. All of us know really smart and successful people who are not believers. But if a man was created by God to know him and to make him known and to glorify him, then using our minds in selfish pursuits and worldly pursuits is futile and spiritually empty. And then the picture really only gets darker from there. Let's look back at where this whole idea of futility begins in Romans 1, 18 through 20 on your verse sheet. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Okay, by the way, the, from there on, the whole rest of Romans 1 is a really great explanation of what happens in the mind of an unbeliever. We can't look at all of it today, but you might jot that down and go back to it. It parallels Ephesians 4 really well. So God reveals himself to my, mankind, and for those who willfully reject him, so begins this downward spiral. First, there's futility, using our hearts and our minds to pursue self-serving ambitions, um, Rather than what God has for us, um, ambitions that have no eternal value, as one continues to willfully reject God and ignore those little pricks of our conscience, the ability to even know what's really good and true and valuable and worthy begins to diminish and grow dimmer and dimmer. That leads to a hardened heart toward God and finally a life given over to personal pleasure at all costs. Um, a continual lust for more, no real and true satisfaction. This person is blind to both the will of God um, and then those freedoms and riches that are in ours um, when we humble ourselves and, uh, and accept Christ's offer of salvation. In chapter 2, Paul summarized this person as being separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. So everything I've just described here is called the old life. Without Christ, man rejects God and has a thoroughly corrupt heart. 
Paul wants his readers to remember where they've come from, what incredible grace and mercy was theirs at the cross, and how radically different is their new identity in Christ. But how do we hold on to and live out those truths? Paul says, first, put off the old self. Second, be renewed in our minds. And third, put on the new self. Okay, so do you remember just a few minutes ago when I said that Christians are a new creation in in Christ and not just a cleaned up version of ourselves? I think of this like uh, putting on our clothes in the morning. And I think Amy talked about this earlier in the semester as well. Our old self was like um, torn and dirty rags. When we were saved um, by Jesus, God... um, did not just throw those torn and dirty rags in the washing machine and then throw some patches on them um, to kind of clean up the tears. Instead, those um, old and dirty clothes were thrown away and we were given um, new clothes, perfect clothes. Um, We are clothed in Christ with our hearts and our minds that are inclined now toward God. And as our thinking is transformed, life changed life change will follow. But sometimes we're so used to wearing those old rags um, that we forget that we've been given the new ones. We don't want to leave those beautiful new clothes hanging in the closet. What a waste that would be of what Christ has done for us. So instead, Paul urges us to put on those garments he's given us. In other words, think like who you already are in Christ. We're a new creation. Use your head. Choose to allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Jesus has clothed us with true righteousness and holiness, but we have to live that out. Look with me at 1 Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So the rest of the passage today will flesh out some very concrete, practical ways of how we can do that. So let's continue reading um, chapter 4, verse 25, and we'll go through 5-2. Therefore, having put away falsehood... Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Holy living requires actively engaging our minds as we pursue integrity in our relationships. 
Okay, and I, before we go any further, I want to make the observation that anyone who says that the Bible is outdated and no longer relevant or out of touch, I don't think has read it recently because um, the issues that Paul needed to address with the Ephesian believers 2,000 years ago are just as relevant um, as they are for us today. Those um, folks and us grapple with the exact same issues. I love it. There's nothing new under the sun. Somehow that's encouraging to me. Verse 25 begins with the word therefore, and we always know that when we see that word, we're linking an idea that came before with something that comes after it. So in light of the fact that we are new creations in Christ, clothed in his righteousness, Paul urges practicing purity in our words, our emotions, and our work. Okay, so what does that look like? He gives us some real concrete things here. First, don't lie. Tell the truth. Why? Because Jesus is truth and we are to reflect his character among our fellow believers and out in the world as well. Deceit simply doesn't belong in the life of um, anyone who bears the name of Christ. Ephesians 2 and the first half of chapter 4 talk a lot about um, the unity of the body of believers. Truth and honesty in our relationships is one of the keystones of creating and maintaining unity. So next, Paul addresses the issue of anger, and um, Paul knows people well, doesn't he? Because I would be willing to bet there is not one of us in here, including me, who hasn't um, grappled with the issue of anger head on time and time again. And to that, he says, be angry, but do not sin. And this is a tough one. Okay, so we aren't told never to be angry. There is a place for righteous anger. Um, Three of the Gospels record a time when Jesus showed righteous anger. It's um, a fairly famous time when Jesus goes into the temple. He goes there to worship, and instead of seeing the temple full of worshipers, he sees um, these people selling sacrificial animals uh, at a huge, um, just costing way more than it was meant to because the people that are coming in really need to buy them and they're being taken advantage of. Um, It's fully these money changers that are exchanging um, currency and charging way more than they should there. And Jesus was angry when he saw it and everybody knew it. But what was Jesus angry about? He was angry at the sin of those who are not there to worship God. Remember also the times in Jesus' life when um, the crowds around him were so needy and so demanding on his attentions, particularly at the time when he was uh, teaching and healing a lot, that he didn't even have time to eat, the word says. And you think, put yourself right there with him. Um, how irritating would it be that those people um, didn't even let him eat? I'm thinking, hey, he came here out of heaven to love and to serve and to heal and to feed um, and to love. And not one person in that crowd can think about his needs instead of their own long enough to just give him a chance to have some lunch. And yet we never see him angry um, when other people inconvenience him. We never see him angry at God for allowing the world to press in on him so hard. His, ne- his anger was really never about him at all. Jesus' righteous anger was directed only at the willful refusal um, to, of others to, to acknowledge and worship God. Paul also says to deal with anger quickly. 
no festering, no wallowing, um, no letting it build up into something worse than it needs to be, no stuffing it, pretending like it's not there. Instead, like Jesus, deal with the situation that's causing the anger quickly, honestly before God. And why should we do that? Because when we allow our anger to control us, Rather than yielding control to the Holy Spirit, it opens us up to all kinds of other sin as well. It puts our focus back on ourselves rather than on God. Our minds play a huge role in potentially volatile situations, but we can purposely clothe ourselves in his righteousness and his holiness, and we can deal with our anger in God's way. What else does pursuing honor and integrity look like? It looks like not stealing and instead be willing to work hard. It looks like there are probably some former petty thieves among the new Ephesian believers. Um, He addresses that and he says, hey, when we're new creations, all of the old has got to go. Um, And I love this because he doesn't just say don't steal, um, you know, because it was part of the Ten Commandments, um, but also so that our honest work can help provide for those who are in need. Um, we will have something to help those, um, those out around us. So our life in Christ calls us beyond simply cutting out old patterns and into loving and giving sacrificially. And I think it's interesting because in the original language, the word for share there really refers to um, distributing something personally rather than through like a, um, a remote agency like a church or a government. So we need to tithe and we need to pay our taxes. But more than that, we need to um, work so that we can have something left over when somebody personally around us has something in need, has a need and we can um, contribute to that. And I was thinking that having to, the means to do that really makes any work we do, um, noble and valuable to the kingdom of God. And that's very encouraging. On your verse sheet, look at Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This um, passage in Ephesians really speaks to that and what that means to do our work unto the Lord. Um, How we think about our work matters and who we're working for matters much more than what that actual work is. The next way we're to clothe ourselves with holiness, stop the coarse talk, and instead use the power of our words only for that which is good and beneficial and life-giving. And why? Because we can cause the Holy Spirit actual sorrow when we um, use words that are rotten and harmful to others. And because we have been blessed beyond measure and our words can bless and encourage others for God's workmanship, Um, And what we say can be used for the glory of God. And don't we all know that that's easier said than done, too? Um, Psalm 141.3 is not on your verse sheet, uh, but listen to it. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let's say that once more. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I've decided, um, because when you're studying, you're awfully personally convicted, I think, um, to write that down in a number of places and use that as my prayer. Because consider this, um, words that build up and fit the occasion and give grace are purposeful words. 
we really need to be thinking not just about what not to say, but also um, about what we do say, words that fit the occasion, words that benefit others. Finally, the woman who's been renewed in her mind will actively get rid of bitterness and with it all those thoughts and behaviors that, um, that come with bitterness. And instead, we will build and promote unity, family ties, and as Amy taught us last week, functional families in Christ. Why do we do that? Look with me at Galatians 2.20. This was on your homework as well. Because I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, who loved me and gave himself to me. We can think and we can act in righteousness and holiness because it is who we are, because Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness. So the pattern here, as we um, have seen over and over, because Paul tells it to us a number of times, is that we can learn to behave as children of God. Um, We can willingly get rid of our sin, choose Christ's likeness. Jesus' life and death were defined by sacrificial love, and therefore we can be defined by practicing sacrificial love in all that we do as well, always, of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's pick back up our reading in chapter 5, verse 3, and we'll go all the way through verse 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm starting in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. And for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so in the first section we read today, Paul lays out our identity as new creations. Then um, we saw in the second session, section some very practical ways that that works itself out in day-to-day life. And in this final section, Paul weaves that theology about the new man versus the old man with some more practical suggestions of how we live that out. 
Holy living requires actively engaging our minds as we walk in the light of Christ. Okay, so notice that Paul is switching word pictures here, but he is repeating the same idea and thought. Instead of calling our life um, that we had before Christ our old self, here he calls it um, darkness. And in place of the new self, he calls believers children of light. Different metaphors, uh, but that sharp contrast between our life before Christ and our life um, after continues to be drawn, and those separate identities um, continue to be in place. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 2.14 on your verse sheet. The natural person, the old self, the person of darkness does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, the new self, or the children of light, um, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For whom has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." The difference or the contrast between those who know God and those who don't is as different as old and new, foolishness and wisdom, darkness and light, death and life. Okay, so let's put this letter to the Ephesian believers in some historical context. If you were with us last spring when we studied the book of Acts, you may remember that Ephesus was the place on one of Paul's missionary journeys where there was this huge riot. And that happened because Ephesus was home to this um, huge temple of Artemis. It was... um, Grand and beautiful architecture. Artemis was this um, false god who was worshipped there in Ephesus. She was sort of a a mother earth, uh, this goddess of uh, reproduction and fertility. Um, Out of that worship um, of reproduction and fertility, there was a lot of temple... um, prostitution that went on um, that was part of this ritual worship. Tourists from all over the area would come to Ephesus to worship Artemis, to be part of that. Um, It was evil and it was pagan. Um, Each spring, Ephesus would even host this week-long festival um, to Artemis. It was gross. It was nasty. It was... um, all about sexual immorality and drunkenness and depravity and all of these things that Paul mentions here, Ephesian culture that these believers came out of was very dark. Um, Much of the Ephesian culture was tied directly to that darkness. There was really no room for the Ephesian believers to have one foot in their old life and one foot in their new. Um, As they were learning to walk in their new life in Christ, they still had all this going on around them. Um, And knowing what they were grappling with gives us insight into why Paul chose these particular issues um, to focus on. And it tells us why and that it is completely possible for us to walk with God and pursue Christ in a dark world. Like I said earlier, there was nothing new under the sun. Um, We can pursue Christ in a dark world as well. So despite some tough, tough, tough circumstances, as children of light, the Ephesian believers were to be characterized by gratitude. The believer's life, in fact, can be radically changed by cultivating a thankful heart. 
by choosing to focus on the riches of our salvation, um, the desire to walk in those old ways would recede. In fact, all of those old pursuits would become empty and ugly in comparison to what we have in Christ. But because our old self and our, our old self is always at war with um, our new self, because we still have to live amidst all the temptations that were once so much a part of who we were, it's not enough just to know we've been saved by grace. We have to choose to let our minds and our hearts dwell there. Um, and when we do that, when we practice that day by day, gratitude really does start to come more naturally. In fact, we're cultivating thankful hearts here today um, as we soak in God's word at Bible study, as we pray together, as we share our praises, recognizing publicly what God has done for us. Um, these are disciplines, Bible study, prayer, worship, praise, and all of these practices also help us to accomplish the work of discerning what pleases God. There are days, though, that I come to either Bible study or church on Sunday morning or even to just my own um, time with the Lord in the morning, um, and I'm distracted or I'm tired or I'm just going through the motions. And in those um, times, the truth is I walk away no more um, equipped um, to do the will of God than I was before, and I know that's the case for all, for all of us from time to time um, but the truth is we really do have to use our head. If we're going to discern the will of God, we have to make it a practice to be present and engaged um, if we want to be discerning women. Um, and also I think because the false messages of the world bombard us so constantly, um, we do have to work hard to live as children of God, um, as children of the light. But we can do those hard things because we are filled with the Holy Spirit and not too much wine. It's a good application there. Engaged and purposeful walking with God also means making the best use of our time. The language here suggests that we use our time to love and to serve others in the same way that a wise merchant would use their time and their efforts well um, to sell what they have to sell. Okay, so we all know this is a great time of year to study this lesson because we all know now, right now, that any store you walk into is going to have lovely Christmas displays, is going to have their shelves packed with all kinds of good and extra things than they normally have. Um, and we know that we have decorations and special food and gifts to buy this time of the year. And so that retailer stocks their stores accordingly, um, creating this, these attractive displays um, to take advantage of holiday shoppers that are looking for some place to spend their money. The Christmas season is short, though. Um, it's really kind of started now, but generally we think of it as that time between um, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And retailers know they have to strike while the iron is hot. Um, many stores are open longer hours during this month. Um, they have special sales like, you know, we have, of course, Black Friday and Cyber Monday and whatever else um, that comes. Um, never have more um, emails about really enticing sales that are happening than I do during the month of December on my phone. Um, and you know what? That effort on the part of the retailers works. Um, Sales and profits are huge in the months of November, and my guess is if you are a retailer, when you wake up on Christmas morning, you are dog-tired because you have spent the last month working so hard. 
I imagine those people are tired, um, but really satisfied because they know that they have made the most of their opportunity um, and that their business will be profitable for that year. Won't it be great for us to get to stand before God one day, tired but satisfied, um, that we have used our time and the opportunities he's given us well. Um, We get to enjoy our salvation and our ever-deepening maturity, and we get to do it every day in a way that will attract a lost and dying world toward our Savior, and that is living wisely. We're not who we once were. We're rich with spiritual blessings and the mind of Christ, and we are called to live a life that reflects God, and there is no greater joy or privilege that I can think of. Okay, so my mom's command to use your head was not always, but generally effective. It served me well. Um, It often kept me out of trouble, and many years later, I think she would be so glad to know that it still informs my decision-making that God's version of use your head is really better still. His version leads us to a life of holiness, of love, and of wisdom. Okay, so I want to close today with the prayer recorded in Colossians 1. Paul wrote this prayer as well. It's printed on the bottom of your verse sheet, but um, it's really there just for your reference. I'd love for you to just close your eyes um, Let me read this, um, and let it be um, a prayer for you today. Um, And I pray that the Holy Spirit would um, just speak to you um, through God's word. Colossians 1, 9 through 13. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Thanks, ladies.